Welcome to season four of the Charity Matters podcast. I'm Heidi Johnson, lifelong helper, nonprofit founder, and your host. I've been interviewing the helpers for a decade with my blog, and I'm so excited to now be sharing these inspiring conversations on our podcast. Join me as we learn the challenges and the stories of innovators, entrepreneurs, and modern day heroes who set out to solve the problems of humanity. Is it really possible for one person to make a difference, to change the world? Today's guest, Don Schoendorfer's story proves that it is. Join us to hear how one MIT biomedical engineer invented a wheelchair to bring mobility to millions without them. So excited to have Don Schoendorfer from the Free Wheelchair joining us today to share his journey with starting his nonprofit and the incredible work that he's world. So welcome, Don. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you, Heidi, for having me here. I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation. I am too. I'm really excited. I've actually heard about you and read about you over the years as someone who is kind of a nonprofit founder, I don't know, groupie. Uh, there's not many of us, but I'm one of them. Uh, I have I have heard about you. And so I really am very excited to not only learn more about your journey, but to share it with our audience today. So before we begin, why don't you just Tell us a little bit, very simply, what Free Wheelchair Mission does for those that don't know about your work. Well, we've uh, we've designed and found how to get manufactured an inexpensive, durable, functional wheelchair that we provide for free to people in developing countries who need a wheelchair. Um, is, and there's a lot. How many people are around the globe that are in need, by your estimates, that are in need of a wheelchair? Um, Oh, uh, we rely on WHO, World Health Organization's estimate of 75 million people um, in need of a wheelchair. That's an unbelievable, an unbelievable number when you really think about it. And I know um, I've read, obviously, I've read a little bit about your background. And for me, living in Pasadena, being a Caltech person, I'm always kind of fascinated by people that go to Caltech and MIT. Because there's in in our city, there just kind of there, there's a level of respect for the brilliance of what it takes to go to those institutions. And growing up in a city that has um, that has a college like that, um, it's a very special thing. And you are an MIT alumni, so I'm going to take a gander that when you started your journey in college, um, that maybe this wasn't the line of work that you were intending. What was your kind of initial path? where you thought you were going with your, with your life and your work around after college or during college? Well, my father worked in a railroad for 49 years as a machinist and two older brothers. One was a chemical engineer, one's a civil engineer. And I, I just knew from the way we operated at home, we always just took things apart and fixed them and put them back together. And then I would be an engineer and I, I just chose mechanical. And, um, but um, my real goal was to make, a, a lot of money, like a billion dollars, just for the heck of <laughs> let's pick a number, because I'm not good at asking people for help. And even and I back then I had no idea what I was going to do with the million dollars, but I knew I was going to do something to help people. So you always kind of had a sense that you were a helper. Yes, yes. That's a be- that's a beautiful thing because I don't think everybody thinks that. I mean, I do think when I ask, I've interviewed hundreds of nonprofit founders. But not one of them has ever said when they were young, they said, when I grow up, I want to start a nonprofit. Everyone has said, 
they might have known that they were a helper or not, but they didn't really know what that meant. So you were at MIT, you're getting your degree in engineering and share us, uh, share with us the journey, the path that led you to this, because it's a pretty incredible story. Yeah. Well, um, two older brother, my, my, we were a modest uh, family and uh, my fam my mother and father did everything they could to get my two brothers through college. Um, and uh, they had a discussion with me, I guess I was eight or nine years old and they, and they kind of laid the cards on the table that um, listen, there's um, we may not have a lot of money left over to help you getting through college. Uh, so the, just don't plan on that. And, and um, we notice you're not working very hard at school and you're just barely getting by and you're in like the middle kind of group that you're, you're headed for a vocation now. Um, and um, you, uh, you're not saving anything either. I mean, if you're eight, well, you're eight years old, how much can you save, right? But they right. Say you better start doing something to, to save up for going to college if you really want to go to it, like your other brothers did. Uh, and that was sort of a, wow, I, I guess. So I learned how to just be a better student. And it was, I wasn't motivated before. It wasn't like I couldn't be a better student. I just wasn't, I was more fun than just down in the basement building little things and just dinkering around and, and so I started to focus and I got to be a pretty good student and I started to save as a paper boy, you know, for 10 years, twiddling papers and, uh, and I got good grades and I got a scholarship to go to one, to a, a liberal arts school, uh, school in Ohio, Baldwin Wallace. And, and they had a plan to go to Columbia. I could, I could go there three years and then I could go to Columbia university in New York and get a, a bachelor's degree. But um, then I go back again, maybe when I'm 10 or 11 years old, I, I found out about MIT and the reputation there was, uh, back then I think Caltech Cal wasn't a big uh, school and they, they were writing, of course, this was the New York Times too, they say um, <laughs> MIT was the best uh, technical uh, school in the world. Right. So I, I, I just set my sights. I said, I want to go there. Wow. Uh, and, and uh, you know, and, um, but the, uh, but I knew I wasn't going to get there from my school, the high school I was going to in Ohio, in Ohio. no offense, but it just, I knew how, who I was going to be competing with uh, right. as a, as a, as a uh, uh, candidate for the, for that school. So I was very brightest in the world are going to, you know, the most elite. Well, well, well the nerdiest there, there may not be bright as many. <laughs> things, but, you know, I you got said my, that I did it. <laughs> I got my I got my fill of uh, of liberal arts at, at Baldwin Walls and in Columbia is not going to let you get out no matter whether you're, what your degree you're going to specialize in without a good liberal arts background uh, you know right, and that was right. I, I appreciate that too but uh, uh, but then uh, I just well uh, okay now I, I I've got good grades from Columbia I'm going to apply to MIT and and uh, I applied to three or four other universities and colleges at the same time. But, um, and then my dream came true. I got accepted at MIT and yeah, again, we, we, no one had a lot of money, but they were so generous in granting Columbia, Ball and Wallace, Columbia and MIT, you know, full scholarships. That wonderful. Uh, and it was, and I, I you know, I, I appreciated it then, but I had no way of putting in the perspective of how that meant. And now when I look back at it, it wasn't, it wouldn't have been possible. Right. Well, and it, it always feels that way. I put myself through college and I, I, uh, I had to work for myself through school and I 
it didn't seem possible that I was going to be able to do it at the time when my parents told me that there were no resources and, uh, and somehow it, you, we all make it happen. We do this and it's, you have incredible pride in your diploma and your degree when you, when you achieve things you don't think are possible. I think it makes it that much more rewarding for all of us. So you have a career in engineering. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I said, and then you're, you, you've been fighting for something for not just four years, but your whole life. Right. So, and you do encounter hurdles uh, and the fact that you've been fighting your whole life, you know how to deal with some of these hurdles because you're not going to give up after all these years of fighting. And, and you realize the hurdles are the gift, right? You don't think it, you don't think that at the time, but you realize in hindsight, when you look back, like each yeah. hurdle was a gift, yeah. it was a lesson when, in resilience, a lesson in something. Yeah. Every last one of them. After you pick yourself up and don't then dust yourself off, you realize. <laughs> exactly. So you had a career in engineering. I'm going to take a gander. Is that what you were doing? Yeah. for Mechan Mechanical engineering. And so tell us the story because almost everyone that I've talked to can tell me the moment, which is what's so fascinating because nonprofit founders are, we're a unique group. Um, that we are, you know, we're all hard workers. We're all entrepreneurs. Um, we may not realize it at the time when we start these journeys, but you know, something happens to us and, and it's, it's whether you want to divine moment or whatever you want to call it, those moments are like lightning bolts for almost everyone I've interviewed. And they can tell you the second, the moment what happened that changed the course of everything, whether it's considered a roadblock or hurdle or whatever you want to call it, but the moment that everything kind of changed. So share with us a little bit about what that was for you. Well, I, I got uh, out of MIT and, you know, I, I found a place I could work and do, be a good individual contributor, blood cell separating technology. It was just coming out in 79, you know, in a big way. And and uh, 77, I got out of school, started off a couple of years, you know, working hard, my wife working hard, raised enough money to buy a house, raise a family, advance our careers. And we went on a vacation to Morocco. Uh, and um, that was probably not a good thing to do in many respects, because we didn't have any money to spend there. And Morocco is a, a beautiful country. And, but, you know, to, to live comfortably, safely, you do have to be able to prepared to spend money. And, uh, but um, the first day we were there uh, in a city called Tehran, Tetran, Tetran, um, we uh, were in the Medina, which is a very small, very old part of the, the city, probably built during the Crusades. And it was a uh, um, dirt road, uh, buildings close to each other, just wide enough for a wagon uh, and a donkey to get by, not for a car, but between the legs of people just uh, commuting back and forth on foot, this woman drags herself across the road using her fingernails for traction. Oh. And um, she's looking at her hands. She's not looking at anything else but her hands. And she's very careful about how she places them and she's advancing, but her feet are just dragging behind her. Like they're, they're almost like they're they're just connected to her. They're not functioning in any way. And she's bleeding and she's very filthy and her clothes are torn. And, and, um, and she, but I had to think maybe some of this was thinking back, but I'm just, what she was thinking about, I believe was don't step on me, please don't step on me. 
and please don't let that wagon run over me. Wow. And and uh, we're looking around uh, as totally new to this whole thing. This is pretty much the first trip in a developing country and and shocked at that appearance, but also shocked at the fact that people were just basically just stepping over her like she was some kind of garbage, but but not helping her. And wow. uh, and and uh, and because uh, it was, you know, when I look back now, people explain to me, well, you know, that's what people saw every day there. And they're just that's life, you know, and there's a whole lot of reasons why they can justify it. But uh, and she just kind of crawled across this dirt and then disappeared down an alley. And and like, where did that come from? You know, we're here to on a vacation to you know, to to be educated and enjoy our time. And and we start off with this first thing. And 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 you know, like Americans, you want to let's go do something about it. Let's let's we gotta find a wheelchair around here someplace. Obviously, she had right. hands, she could use a wheelchair with her arm, she'd be strong enough to do that, but there was nothing like that and available, even no matter how much money you had. And so, okay, now it's time to end the vacation, go on home, continue your advancement in your career, and you're raising your family. And and that's what I did for 20 more years. But every now and then something would remind me or in the middle of the night, I'd wake up and I'd be thinking about that woman and the, the peril she had uh, just to keep alive. Um, yeah. And so uh, and she I probably, haunted you. She kind of yeah, haunted you. I probably would have died with that, um, with that image in my mind, had it not been for raising teenage daughters. Interesting. And why, and how would explain the correlation? <laughs> Well, you know, you, at MIT, at Caltech, you get the feeling for they can they can really try to explain uh, the universe, and they still can't get to the point where they can explain where it all came from. And and I always said, well, you know, I, I was brought brought up a Christian, and I was willing to give God credit for that because I don't see how any other way it could happen. But um, but I figured, you know, I'm on my own here. And I was getting, I was actually pretty good as an engineer solving very difficult technical problems with my education and my background but suddenly you've, you've, you reach teenage daughter problems <laughs> <laughs> and, and and that's not something engineers know anything about at all <laughs> that's that's something that no one knows anything about <laughs> and uh you know and it kind of brought us back to church dragged us it brought us back to, to on our knees to and to learn how to surrender those issues because there's there's not something that we could solve no and teenage then, girls are not solvable until they right. until they are no longer teenagers right <laughs> and and you realize the object of a parent is to keep your sons and daughters alive until right. they mature enough to keep themselves alive right you hope um, yeah um so, so then do, do, being the fact that i was going back to church i i figured i can I go a couple of years, but I'm still the same guy on Monday as I was on Saturday. And church maybe made me think differently a little about things for one day, but I wasn't getting anything more. So uh, I was a pedestrian. So I, I thought, well, I can, with a PhD and MIT, I can, I can teach people math and science. And so I'd be volunteer as a tutor, right? And uh, these, these poor kids, they were from Central America and and all they're being done is being moved on to the next grade, no matter what. Right. And and then mentoring. I tried mentoring kids that they're in and out of parole and you know, sleeping in the back seats of cars and and, and sometimes in jail. And that and uh, the way I like to shorten the story, 
because I could, uh, and I could. For so you the, went on a philanthropic uh, journey a little bit. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know, you know I, I like to put it in these, uh, very briefly. This happened over the period of six months, but it, it, I, I can make it real short. Hello, this is the middle of the night. You know, it wakes you up in the phone. Uh, middle right. of the night rings, and then it said. Don, yeah, and I say, yeah, yeah. Who is this? Is the Lord? <laughs> and I, That's I need call you don't usually get in the middle of the night. <laughs> I need to talk to you. <laughs> and uh, what about? And he said, Well, why are you wasting your time? Uh, and I said, What do you mean? I said, Well, you know, you you're not cut out to be a tutor or a mentor. You you don't like people. You're an introvert. You have no training in this area. Why don't you use the the, the gifts I gave you to do something for the kingdom. And then he hung up, you know, and that, no, not granted. I don't want anybody to misinterpret. I do not have that kind of relationship with communicating with Lord, with Lord. <laughs> but, but if I summed up what was going Direct through my info is good. If I, if I'm thinking of what was, what I was going through for those six months, that was really what I came up with. Hey, I'm an engineer. I'm an inventor. I can do this stuff. What, where do I focus my energy? And then all of a sudden, there's this woman crawling across the dirt road. And the dots uh, and, begin to connect. And it's like, what's, well, what's he need? What's she need? Well, the wheelchair has the, it's odd, the ingredients is in the name, wheelchair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I figured, you know, I was doing clinical trials and I was getting things through the FDA and, and, and I knew how to do a, a clinical trial. So I figured, if I could come up with some kind of a design, maybe I could write a paper and prove that this would work. And kind of, you know, and I'd written quite a few. And what papers. year is this, Don? What year is this? Just 1999. Okay. And so uh, I I go to Toys R Us and I get some bicycles and I go to Home Depot right next door and I get some some white resin lawn chairs and then spends you know five or six months trying to figure out how to effectively connect them together and. And uh, it, it's a it's a white resin lawn chair with mountain bike tires, and it does it doesn't look like a wheelchair to most anybody. But I'm thinking that woman probably would love to have something like this. Of course. So, uh, and I get a lot of support from people that are in the mission field and the humanitarian field, and they see. They said, "What do you want to do next?" I said, "I want to write a paper: the safety and efficacy of an inexpensive, durable, functional wheelchair in the developing world." That was the title. And I'm going to do a little clinical trial, right? I'm going to make a right. hundred of these things. I'm going to get them out somehow. And I'm going to, I'm going to uh, come back a year later and see if the wheels are still turning. And I'd write this paper and then someone else could take care of it because that's, that would be my contribution. Right. And uh, so I did all those things um, and f f faced a lot of, um, you know, criticism along the way, healthy criticism along the way, because people were trying to make me realize that I was, wasting my time and my talents. Uh, isn't that um, funny how people always do that with people have great ideas or entrepreneurs that isn't that it seems to be a trait we all we all get feedback yeah. on that. And this was you know way out of my league of I didn't know anything about physiology or physical therapy, occupational therapy or international diseases and tropical diseases or any of other stuff. But you know if you but you're a problem walk, solver, Don. You're a problem solver. And so I I made a hundred of them and I was able to get uh, after uh, sitting in the garage for another year, and I was able to get a four of them on a mission trip to India, um, and and managed to, to to convince people just to tolerate me. Uh, I just want to prove a point because no one could understand 
where this was going. Any, I mean, just it made no sense to anybody. Well, um, it, it came a little bit. They didn't know about your phone call, and it came a little out of the no. blue, I'm sure, for other people who right. are following the whole story that we're getting. But yes, yeah. And in India, you, you, in a city, you can't walk more than 100 feet without seeing somebody sitting on the ground, crawling on the ground, rolling on the ground, or whatever, or being carried. It's just so common. So that was a great place to start. And we brought the four wheelchairs with us, four passengers on an international flight. Um, uh, and the, the first one we gave away, we, I, we just saw a family's life change in a matter of seconds. It was just unbelievable. Uh, I know so many questions were, were asked. People would try to say, who's going to, uh, they'd ask me in trying to talk me out of it. Well, who's going to give them away? Uh, who's going to do the training? Uh, how are you going to be sure they get to the right people? Where are they going to be made? Uh, all these other things. And I just want, I just want to see what happens. Right. You just wanted to see if they worked and if it was, and if it was the right fit, that was, that was it. And I had to get some data, I thought, because I had to write this paper, but when I saw this family change, I I mean, it wasn't data that I needed. I needed to be able to figure out how to tell the story. You you can imagine if you were carrying your, well, in this case, it was 11 year old boy with cerebral palsy and they had carried him every, every day of his life. And they both can't work, uh, and therefore they can't make enough. They can just barely make enough money to live on, because one of them has to stay with their son. Right. And all of a sudden, they got this chair that they can take. Then the son, they can take him to the shade along the rice paddies where they worked, and they could both work, and they could make enough money to, you know, advance a little bit in their economy. And and uh, and but the but they had the freedom, and now he had freedom, and they had freedom. And uh, of course, they didn't know what was going to happen after we put him in the chair. They probably thought we were going to take take some pictures and take it away from him. And when we drove away at the end of uh, and left the chair to them, they got it. But we didn't come back and take the chair. Right. And it was not. like, and and it was like, uh, okay, that's enough. That's a story. I don't. What kind of data do you need for me to convince you this is a good thing? Well, you're kind of jumping ahead a little bit because I was going to ask you about your impact and I'm going to get back to that. So just remember this, I'm going to come back to impact and we'll talk about it because I think sometimes one of the challenges we have in nonprofits is that um, a lot of people want to know the return on investment. A lot of people want to know about all sorts of data. They want to have serve and help. And how do you measure that impact like what you just shared with us? How, that's immeasurable. You can't measure the impact of that child in that family's life of what just happened it's an immeasurable impact it's not it is a data point but it's so much more than a data point and i think that that's it's something that we we struggle with a little bit um yes. in this line of work so to speak it's one of the struggles well i have a question for you because people are asking all these questions about how are you going to distribute this how is this going to be and at this point you don't even think it's a business so when did you decide it was going to become a nonprofit and what were those early challenges like? It sounds like distribution might've been one of them. Well, yeah, yeah curiously enough, it didn't because uh, uh, after the, the, the mission group that we, we worked with to get to this boy in the first place in Chennai, India, saw how this opened the doors for them. The next uh, day, they're driving me all around Chennai to show me all the disabled people that they would like to get wheelchairs to. Because they were, and they, they got the doors open in this little village, in this Hindu right. village. 
And so, uh, and they want to be distribution partners. And I didn't, I didn't even think what, what, what would I need a distribution partner for? Right. <laughs> so and I just wanted to fast forward, but the thing yeah. that they kind of uh, another, uh, I used to call them coincidences because I wasn't really into how much God was behind this whole thing, but. There are no coincidences. We all know I that. I get back to uh, California and I'm telling my family this story and some people from the church this story and I go to work that Monday morning and the parking lot's empty and the, the doors are locked and I knock on the door and my, my boss comes out and he, he said, haven't you heard? And I said, no, I've been in India for two weeks now. He said, well, we just went bankrupt last week and I didn't have a job. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hey. And Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, it's another coincidence, right? Right. Um, and so I, I, I started struggling because my wife was a stay-at-home mom, and my kids were—they had fairly expensive medical costs, and uh, and I'm trying to put pieces together. And but uh, this news of this uh, this wheelchair—just the four we gave away in Chennai had tremendous stories i mean i i could spend hours just telling you those stories but and they got back to the people at my church and other people who knew me and they they'd call and said what are you gonna do next don i said well i'm a biomedical engineer and i got all this background and sweat and blood and and all this other stuff i i gotta find a job someplace and uh and they said no but that's not what we mean what are you really gonna do and and i said well, well wait a minute what i just told you he said no no <laughs> we think you've got to follow through with this idea of this wheelchair. If you don't do it, it's going to die. I mean, no one else is going to pick this up. You've got right. the fashion to get it this far. And we think you ought to start a nonprofit. And, you know, I'm thinking I've lived my life as a nonprofit in a nonprofit mode all this time. And right. I, was, I wasn't going to make the, the billion dollars that I thought. Uh, right. And the goal that you've set out to. Uh, right. But then, you know, Orange County, there's a lot of billion dollar people around orange county and yes, there are and some of them started sending money to me just to make more wheelchairs and you know the, the, the in a letter don schoendorfer and I open up and uh here's a here's a little post of money for more wheelchairs and I, they i didn't even i didn't have any you know 501c3 i didn't have anything else like that i said and so i'm you know i'm, I'm you know, god is what is this what you want me to do he said yes and then Lori. In so many words and then Lori, my wife yes and then i'm thinking well, I, I have phd mit i got this 25 years of, of a career that i've been working on on cutting edge of many air things and i'm going to start a, something that i know nothing about and so i and get the book i get the book the nonprofit for dummies <laughs> Because they have them, you know, it's the same. I didn't author. know there was one. <laughs> oh yeah, there is nonprofit for dummies, and uh, I'm just going from page to page. They even, they even had a little CD inside that had all your bylaws and your your 501c3 application and and all this stuff. And I just follow the chapter to chapter. We all start out that way. Every last one of us that that starts a nonprofit, we all start out that way. But oh, now it says I'm unstable. Um, we all start out that way. And, uh, and I think I, if we know there was a manual, I think most of my people I've interviewed would have bought it as well. I would have bought one too. Yeah. That, that was very lucky to have a manual. I know what to do. So that was in 2001 and, uh, the coincidence continued to happen. I, I, um, I found funding early on. I've put together a board. I found a manufacturer in China for the wheelchairs and, uh, 
uh, demand started to grow only by rumor and reputation. Uh, and um, so there we were. In so back to the impact question, because now we are 20 or 23 years you've been doing this work, 20, 22, 22. years, yes. 22 yes. years, which is remarkable, remarkable. Um, back to that impact question. I mean, I know from the numbers from um, seeing your book and reading a little bit about your work, but share with us the numbers of how many wheelchairs you have distributed and some of the impact and obviously um, the other impact you think you've made. I mean, because that word, like I said, it's got a lot of facets to it. There's yes. a lot of ways you can describe an impact. Yes. I. Um, well, the over these last 22 years, we've given out over 1.3 million wheelchairs in 94 different countries, uh, developing countries. We don't, we don't give them away in developed countries, uh, you know, where, where there's usually options for a wheelchair uh, available to most everybody. Uh, but in the developing world, there's no option. If we don't give them a wheelchair, they're going to live their life without one. Um, and um, we've... Um, We've got partners who actually give the wheelchairs away for us. We've learned not to be too smart and try to think we can do it ourselves because there's all these things that you'd have to know when you're working in a society of the religion, the mores, the social culture, everything else. You've got to know what how to do this properly. Um, and so we work through these distribution partners and they uh, we ship them to the closest ocean port and then they, they assume possession of them and they had to take it from there um and we've um as far as impact goes it's it's i could start there it, the, the developing partners the, the distribution partners the impact it has on them is profound because they're usually humanitarian ngo sometimes faith-based missionaries of all, of all different types of religions and they don't get a lot of respect in the in the, the countries they're working in um for various reasons but if, once they get their reputation for wheelchairs they, they get tremendous success Everybody, right because it's a very it's a very it helps you get reelected if you can show up at a distribution of wheelchairs and you're the mayor or the governor uh and, and you can participate in the distribution right. and we let our uh, these groups um take part of uh, take responsibility and have some responsibility for the distribution so they are actually helping and we don't mind letting them take the credit because that helps our distribution partners. But the, uh, you know, at first I was focusing on just the individual. There's that woman crawling across the road in Morocco. Right. And I didn't see her family, but she probably has one because there's no way she could keep alive without having a family. And then, uh, you know, after you've given away a few wheelchairs and, and uh, yourself, we, I occasionally get out and do this myself. And so does my staff. You see how it impacts the family. Because they're the wheelchair. Because the ripple, the ripple effect on on 1.3 million people times a family of five or ten or whatever it is is significant. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Yes. So you yeah. you started, you know, 22 years ago, um, not even thinking that you know you answer the phone call from the big guy upstairs. You put the plan in motion. You you knew that you were doing something great and, and terrific, but you probably, I mean, did you ever dream it could be this big? And if so, are you still dreaming of what, what's the big, the next dream for your organization? 
Yeah, I know. I, I, I became very humble in my thinking of where this was all going when I, when was when it was explained to me that they were these weren't coincidences, and then I, I, I kind of said, okay, well, in that case, um, why don't I just take the back seat and let God, you know, drive the drive drive the car, and right. uh, and so uh, and uh, that doesn't mean I haven't I've I I don't. I put my foot in my mouth a lot and I make mistakes a lot and we all make mistakes a lot, but basically I'm, I kind of rely on him for the, the strategic plan and, and the tactical steps you take. And so it, I could, I could say, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised, but then again, I know what his capacity is. So uh, I'm not surprised because I, you know, and, and I could say, well, I'm disappointed that there's still 73 0.7 million people needing wheelchairs but then again there's a whole lot of stuff going on in the sidelines of this whole process um that has to happen and he's i hope is working through other people to kind of work on those sides of the one of the biggest problems that we encounter in every country of, of that we've been in is that there's this common feeling that you've you've um, you're cursed and that's why you've got a disability and, 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 and that's universal. Most of them, most of these. Yes. Right. Wow. Even in South American countries with Catholicism has such a profound effect in, in missionary work, but uh, it's, it's really easy to explain a disability by, well, it's a curse. I mean, your parents did something wrong or your grandparents or something, or you, you were born to be this way because in your past life, you what whatever, you know, all this right, stuff right. goes on. But the thing is, it, 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 it's a powerful thing to hear about when everybody around you is saying that you're cursed. It's, it has impact on you. Right. You begin to believe it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you said not only have a physical disability, a mobility disability, but you also have a sort of a sociological, a spiritual disability as well, because you're not on the same par with anybody else. And, and so we've learned that if it's in, at all possible to get that news out that we don't believe we have medical reasons to explain um what causes disability and you know they may be very complicated to explain but besides that it's not a curse we don't right. believe god it's nothing works that you did right yeah we don't believe that you did right right and so oh, go ahead that has that has profound impact when you when you explain to somebody that you're not cursed and here's a wheelchair to prove it Absolutely. And I just, I can't help but thinking about that nine-year-old boy with the paper route, uh, thinking that he couldn't go to college and that maybe he was being cursed by his parents. His older brothers had gone to school and he took this idea that, no, no, I'm going to do that. I'm going to school. And you took that information and did something different with it. And the way people take their whatever you want to call it. I sometimes call people's trash. You take your trash or your bad news and how you, how you use it. Some people use that as fuel for something and some people don't. And so I think that it's um, fascinating when people use uh, those messages as fuel for good. So um, you're definitely one of those. And I think it's Thank pretty, you. pretty impressive, Don. So what life lessons, I can't even imagine um, what you've seen on this planet and even the past 22 years of the work that you're doing and going to develop countries, um, the suffering and the poverty and, um, you know, that just the a front row seat to humanity of everything you get. To, you're, we're all in this not, in nonprofit work. We're in the privileged position to see, I think, the best and worst of people. 
um, sometimes. And uh, I will say when I write my book, it's that's what it's going to be called, a front row seat to humanity, because that's that's what I feel like we we have someday. And it's and it's a privileged seat to witness some of life's most beautiful things, but it's also hard to see suffering and to see the worst of things that we do see that as well. So what life lessons have you learned besides there are no coincidences um, since you started this? Well, the, the one thing that it's, it's um, people have actually warned me, you know, when you get, when you get into a slum in a developing country, be careful because they're going to want everything they can get from you. And, you know, and they know you're from, maybe they don't know you're from America, but they know, they know that you're from somewhere else where right. people are watching. And what I, what I find is they're so happy with the life they have. They've learned how to accept the situation. And in this case, it's a fairly um, dramatic one that, that they're not going to walk ever again. Right. They've given up the hope of anything ever changing. They may be on list of of getting a wheelchair from the government for 30 years or so, who knows, but they just, they just given that up as even hoping for it. And so they've made life to be pleasant and enjoyable and their family has, and they're all loving each other. And they're, they, <laughs> they seem a lot happier than we do. Well, I mean, I, I can see that. And that's, that was, that was a surprise. And they weren't, they were so happy to get a wheelchair. They wouldn't be, dare. I mean, at this, I can't believe you would give us anything else. We wouldn't ever want you. Because the way I look at it, the way I explain it to people in this country is what could I give you, Heidi, for $96 that would change your life forever? There's nothing uh, yeah. that I need. Yeah, you know, there's really nothing. There's but, nothing that we need, right? Right. That's a, and most Americans would probably say there's nothing that we need. Yeah, or they have everything, or they'd want a billion dollars, or five billion, or a hundred thousand more, or whatever it is that they think that they would need to make their life happier. But uh, these people are already happy, and when you give them a wheelchair, it, it's it's profound. It's so profound, and you can just see uh, how hard it is for them to put it in words. How to how to express their gratitude. That some are just choked up and they can't get the words out. They're just crying and smiling at the same time, and and the whole family around them is. We don't have to carry grandpa anymore. He's, he can go by himself. We can, we can, we can get him outside and he can, he can see the sun. Uh, uh, you know, he can, he can, he can feel the fresh air. He's been living in the back room for 35 years. I mean, we, we get these stories. Right. And that's uh, how we get paid. You know, that's really what I think of our paydays. It may not be that billion dollars you set out to make Don or, you know, starting out, but those are our paydays, which are, which are so much greater so much greater than any than any financial payday when we get to witness that there's something just magical that happens when we are in this privileged position to see kindness and the best the best of the human spirit and the best of giving and you know that's just joy that's just joy when you get to be a part of that it's it's incredible privilege so do you think you've changed since you've started all this yeah, that phone call do you think you've changed oh yeah i have i mean and the people i you know, associate with have changed uh I'm, I'm more associated with people that are in this field of humanitarian um you know effects my best most most of my best friends are in developing countries someplace and i rarely get the chance to see them oh, but i always think about them because um i mean these, these are the people that totally live on faith they don't know where the next meal is going to come from 
and yet if they met somebody who needed a shirt they would take their shirt off and give it to them and that's that's the way they live and i mean talk about uh I, I, you know the salt of the earth the people that are out there doing this work and it, it's it's not just in developing countries either because i know you, you've been talking about a lot of just in in the united states we you know there's a lot of things where we can do to make people's life a lot more and you know pleasant right uh, just to know just for them to know there's a stranger that loves them and is wanting to take care of them and maybe some little way it couldn't maybe not a wheelchair maybe it's tie their shoes something right. really simple uh why would you get out why would you stop and bend over and tie the shoes of of somebody who's trying to get some money at the freeway at right. the on-ramp right. of the freeway oh sir i just want to make sure you don't trip over your shoes i worry about you and <laughs> and you get back in your car wow isn't that a story <laughs> right you know the power the power of kindness and and it it does it just changes it not only changes us but it changes everything around us and it has a ripple effect that i think people don't think about we see so much negativity everywhere in the media and the news and it's why i love having these conversations because there's such amazing goodness happening on this earth every second every day and no one's talking about it and no one's talking about it and to me don you are the hero you are the people and everyone who works with you and supports you in your work um are the heroes that we should be focusing on we're focusing on the wrong the wrong things in society and we're not focusing enough on the brilliant people that are doing using their gifts to make the world better so i'm so grateful for you and for your story please tell us how we can support you follow you donate you donate for you help you volunteer how can we support the free wheelchair mission well, um, there's two things I mentioned in, in this great discussion we've had that are uh, that, that this, this is a sticking points for anybody to get behind our, our free wheelchair mission. And one is 75 million people either crawling on the ground, being carried or languishing in the back room until they die. Uh, and it's, it's pretty much all they always been that way. It's numbers are growing, increasing, but it's, it's so that's a huge number. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it either. Uh, and then until I got into it. And then the second thing, $96, we can get a wheelchair custom designed for off-road developing countries, manufactured, shipped, delivered, uh, assembled, uh, adjusted, and then the training goes in how to use the chair, not only to the individual, but the family or the caretakers for $96. Those two facts will affect some people. And then they'll probably figure out, well, what, what, $96, you know, that's, that's, that's a pretty decent Christmas present I could give to somebody and they'd like it. But even more than that, the person who would get the chair would be, you know, it would change their life. Uh, so just getting the, the story out that we were a disorganization, we're not going to give up. We've already given out 1.3 million. So clearly we know how to do this. Um, secondly, sounds like a great Christmas gift on. Yeah. This will be and airing, you know, we, just right around Christmas shopping time. <laughs> and we even get a Christmas card we'll give the people and you can pick what continent it, 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 the wheelchair goes to. And then um, if you want to give us your e their email address, we'll tell them when it's shipped, when it's delivered, and we'll give you a picture of not necessarily the person who gets it, but somebody in the village. Right. Uh, but I noticed you That's hold a US fantastic US. thing. You held, you held up a book. I just I, just I know. Wrote. Well, no one can. It's a podcast. No one can see this, but Don sent me 
and his team sent me a wonderful oh, copy of his new book called Miracle Wheels, the story of a mission to bring mobility to the world. And uh, I have to say, I've only read the first, it just, I just came in the mail, so I haven't gotten to read it all, Don. so forgive me. But I was really excited, as I said to you, you, the very first chapter, you have a little note that says about you're grateful for anyone that helps you. The most important thing anyone can do for us is to tell our story. And that made me feel very grateful because I'm really happy that we're able to tell your story today. So there's a, that book. Well, uh, you know, it's not wheelchairs. There's a, there's so many other things you could do. Uh, and, and what you do is you think about what you're good at. You know, maybe you get the call from God, or or maybe you don't have to get it. And what am I really good at? And is that what I'm doing to help people? Am I using those tools to help people? And um, you know, it 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 doesn't have to be that complicated. It could be something like tying somebody's shoes. But uh, you know, uh, that's one of the most rewarding things about free will mission is we're connecting a people with a way uh, to do something to a stranger that they'll never meet in a developing country. And we're like a bridge, um, but and there's so many things that people in developing countries need. There's so many really talented engineers out here in this country, and you know people that can get stuff done. And uh, go spend some time in a developing country and look around and ask some people, what do you guys need? Uh, because you know they don't necessarily need the hospital with all like we need a hospital. They don't like. They don't need a house like our house. They just need things to improve their life, which are, we wind up shipping them stuff that we got tired of using 30 years ago. And we fill up containers and sending it out to people in developing countries. Like, and, gee, and they're so grateful. And they're so yeah. grateful. So we can visit freewheelchair.org. We can buy your book. We can think about making our Christmas list for $96 gifts that will change lives. Is there any other way that we can support you, Don? Because you... What you're doing is really magical. Yes, yeah, so you can get on our website, freewheelsremission.org, and there's plenty of opportunities. We've learned how to get people involved, even though they li don't live in Orange County. There's <laughs> things that we can do. You, there's things you can do for mobility. You can get your friends together, and you can do something for mobility. You can paddle canoes. You can walk. You can climb. You can hike. You can snowshoe. You can. I mean, people are doing all these things as a campaign for mobility. Um, there's ambassadors who will come and, you know, locally tell the story um, of what we're trying to do. And they're not necessarily big financial contributors, but they're good at telling stories. And we can, we're really good at providing the stories for them to tell. And maybe they'd like to come on a trip with us someday and get some of their own stories to tell. Um, I, and I, I would like to come on a trip with you one day because I have to say, there's nothing I love more than A, people doing great work and B, telling the story of people doing great work and see if I get to see the great work, that's an, that's an extra bonus. So um, I would love, love to join you on one of these excursions one day. And I'm so grateful for you and your time today and sharing your incredible story. And I, I, just, I just am in awe of, um, of the message of really finding your gift figuring out what it is and how to best share it with the world. And, and you have certainly done that in a really beautiful way. So thank you. Thank you for all of that. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you for this opportunity to talk. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Charity Matters podcast. I really enjoyed talking to our guest on Schoendorfer about what it takes to start a business 
that truly changes people's lives. I think his overall humility about his accomplishment was so inspiring. To learn more about modern day heroes like Dawn, or if you'd like to reach out to us, visit us at charity-matters.com or connect with us on Instagram at Charity Matters. If you enjoyed our conversation, we would love it if you shared it with your family and friends. And please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Remember, together, we can make a difference, one small act of kindness at a time. Charity Matters.